Good afternoon. Uh, this is um, part four of uh, the teaching series that I am doing in Ephesians. And uh, we will be uh, in chapter one, verse 15 through 23 today, which is a prayer that Paul prays uh, after he's uh, spoken to them or written to them. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, writing out what he's praying for them so they understand what he's praying about for them. But he's writing this prayer and praying this prayer after he's already spoken to them or written to them in verse uh, 3 through uh, 14, where he talks about uh, the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ, what Christ has done for them, their election, their, them being predestined in Christ, uh, the, the adoption they have through Christ, the grace that's been poured out, the redemption, the forgiveness, the wisdom and understanding they're giving, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, the inheritance that's promised them. So he's talked about those things in the initial uh, opening of, of this letter that he writes to Ephesians, which is really uh, uh, just this time of praise where he, where he says, oh, praise be to the uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or blessed be the, the, the God or the, or the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and here he's praying, and he's praying because what he's teaching them, what he's, what he's declared to them in this that, that, that opening praise that he does is, is, is more than just intellectual or mental assent we give to those truths. Paul is speaking to them and giving them some things that will anchor them in their, in their relationship and their faith in Christ and in, the, in God the Father. And he's spoken those things, and he knows that those things are more than just intellectual understanding. There's something that the, the, the Holy Spirit has to secure in our hearts, and it, it becomes a part of who we are. And he, he's going to pray about the Holy Spirit working, and he's, he's praying that God would make what he's this written to them, what Paul has come to know, he wants God the Father to actually make real and in, 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 in be secure in these believers there. But it's not just what he's written already, what Paul's going to write in the rest of the letter. It's more than just something we can understand with our, our intellect. What he's talking about is spiritual truths that uh, that are something that we understand and, and, and are shape our life that are beyond just mental uh, uh, or intellectual understanding. And it's important that we understand them intellectually, these truths, but they're more than just something we think about, something we know or understand with our intellect. There's something that's going to be a part of who we are as individuals. So he prays this prayer. And I would say that it's a prayer, too, for us to learn how to pray. He's modeling something. He's giving them and he's giving us really a model of what to pray for. And as he prays for the church, as he is led by the Spirit to pray this prayer, it's also a model for us to learn how to pray also. And so we're going to read it, but I want you to look at it as, as, as something, as a prayer that we could use as a model to pray for ourselves, our brothers and sisters, our church, for the church globally, that we would, we, we the church would, would be moved by God to, 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 to respond to the things that Paul prays for here. Um, let's read verse 15 through 23 of Ephesians chapter 1. And it reads, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And yes, there is a lot there to talk about. And we'll try to get through that. I don't know if we'll get it done in one setting or maybe have this in two parts. We'll see how far it goes and where we're at. As, uh, we, as we go along. But just to start off with, Paul's talking about, or actually, is, he's giving us his model for prayer. And we're going to look at some aspects of that prayer. What, he, what, what, does, what are the things that Paul prays for? What does he mean by the things he mentions that he's praying for? And why would he pray for those things? And see, knowing, not only knowing the truths that he's going to pray about for us to know, but knowing what he's praying for specifically helps us understand what we can pray for. It helps us articulate in our own words. Like some of the words there might not mean as much to you as other words that you may be able to um, incorporate into this prayer model. You don't have to pray it word for word, which is okay to do. But it's also a model of prayer that you can use to launch off into a prayer of yourself as you pray for these things and think through them in more detail and, and pray them specifically for yourself or others. So what are the things Paul is praying for here? But even before that, I want to take note, just what what is their reputation? Paul says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Here's the reputation that has come back to Paul. Their faith in Christ. Their faith is something that's alive and something people see in action in their lives. It's not just something they verbalize. It's something they demonstrate with their, with their actions. And that is seen in their love, their agape, their willingness to sacrifice what may be significant and value to them for the sake of others to experience the God's, God's blessings for them. And that's the reputation Paul has as he's remembering them and thinking of them. And he says, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't cease to give thanks for you. The impact you have not only on, on others, but on, on Paul himself, remembering him in their prayers. But verse 17 through 19 are some of the heart, it's some of the main content of the, the prayer. So I want to reread verse 17 and 19. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to working of his great might? So the first thing Paul prays for us, he says that you, that you be, that the, the, the Father of glory may give them, the reader, or us, we pray for ourselves, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, and him being God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, what is wisdom? It's, it's, it's insight into the true nature of things. It's a mix of, 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 of a knowledge that we gain from uh, learning and schooling and practical application, but it's also something we learn from our, our personal experience in doing things and living life. And with that, we gain good judgments, a way of seeing things for what they truly are. And with that, we have this experience and the capacity to make judgments and, and, um, and live and apply the, the, those things we've learned in a very practical way, apply those to our life 
in, in everyday living. And so that's wisdom. So we, he's talking about the things he just, remember, he wrote in verse 3, 3 through 14, and what he's going to write in the rest of, rest of the letter, saying that God would give you a spirit of wisdom, give you this, this insight into the true nature of things, what I'm talking about, and that your experience and your knowledge will give you the capacity to practically apply these to everyday living. And so then it's also about wisdom and revelation. What's revelation? It's, it's a spiritual illumination. It's being enlightened. It's having discernment. It's insight into mysteries. As Paul talks about, there's a mystery. It's not something that God's keeping hidden. It's something that in the past was not revealed, but now is being revealed. It's being made known. And so he's saying that you'd get this revelation and you discern beyond just your mental or your intellectual understanding that you would gain an insight, spiritual insight into the truths I'm sharing with you. And the purpose of having this wisdom revelation is that we would know him, that they would know him, that we would know him. We would know God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit better. See, it's in knowing him. That's what he's talking about. It's not just to have spiritual wisdom and revelation, but so we can know God. And not just know about God. There's a huge difference between knowing facts about God which is quite different from knowing him relationally, this perception, insight, understanding him as, as a person, as, as he himself is, as he's revealed himself in Christ. And it's this experiential reality we have of God in our own life and living our life in a way that we understand him and we relate to him, we walk with him, we live with him, and he lives with us. So it's not just about objective facts about God, like, yes, he died on the cross, but knowing him personally, knowing him intimately, uh, having this experiential awareness of God uh, himself, knowing his attributes, knowing his will, knowing his voice. And that's what Paul's saying, is that you understand those things. It's like when I first came to Christ, I was opposed to God. Before I ever read the Bible, ever looked at it and talked about it, I was opposed to Christianity completely. And then opening up the Bible and reading it for the first times and having people talking to people about Christ, it was like he would came because I knew facts about him and dying on the cross and all things. But it went from doing that to he became so real to me. And it was like I I see him, I, I know him, I'm I I discern who he is and I have relationship with him. That's what we're talking about. So Paul's saying that now we have this wisdom and knowledge of God, this revelation of him, but how do we apply it to life in everyday living with believers, those that are in the, in the church and those that have are not believers yet, that we, we live a life uh, with that wisdom and revelation that we have. And then I, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 9 through 13 talks about the Spirit and what he's done for us or what he does in us. And Paul, uh, uh, that Paul, but... Uh, and Acts talks about the Spirit coming to us and uh, it, it, it came to the church in Pentecost. And that same Spirit that was poured out on them, the same Spirit that was in Christ, is now living in us and working in us. And so let's read, I want to read that, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, and this is Paul writing to the, the church, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I remember as a young Christian hearing that verse, people say, oh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared. Like, there's no way we can know that. There's some certain things that are beyond our capacity. But that's not what Paul's meaning here. If you go on into verse 10 through 13, where he says, you know, no eye has seen or no ear has heard, no heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we, meaning believers, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spirit, spiritual. See, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God Himself. God Himself has come to live in us. And He knows the depths of who He is and all He's doing. And God has given us a Spirit that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Like Paul talks about earlier in the letter, about our adoption, being a part of God's family, being a part of His household, being forgiven, being predestined, being sealed by the Spirit, having an inheritance. All these things, the Spirit of God has come to us that we might know these things that have been freely given to us. Not something we've earned, but something freely given to us. And Paul's praying for them to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge. That's the God we serve. That's the God who's come to rescue us. That's the God who's come to have relationship with us, walk with us, and live with us, and live within us. And so Paul's praying that for them. We should be praying this for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters. And so... What, you know, so what's the what's the result? Why is, why is Paul praying this wisdom revelation in the knowledge of God that we know Him? Why is it? What's the, but what's what's the impact of of having that? There's a conviction we have, this confidence in who God is, this assurance of our faith. It gives us deeper insight into God's will, recognizing Him at, at work all around us in Christ, what He's doing, and, and it, there's a better understanding of God's will, and actually seeing our life and what God has gifted us as individuals with to live out this life, and we start to see how God has put us <coughs> on earth. And with the gifts we have and the talents we have and the people he's connected us to. And we start to live with these convictions that God has purposed us in these moments, this time frame, this history, and this place to live our life in alignment with his greater will and purposes. Because he, we know and understand our life is, is of value to his greater plan. And so that's why Paul prays this. So it starts to impact us. It starts to, we start to worship God. And as we worship Him, we start to be transformed to become more like Him. And then, and then we start to live in a way that honors Him and we experience the fullness of what God's purpose for our life. Now, verse 18, where Paul prays, having the eyes of your heart be enlightened that you may know. Just that part there. Let's look at the, the, that part of verse 18. So why does Paul, what is Paul praying here when he says that the eyes of your heart be enlightened that you may know? And he starts to list some things that we would know. But first he says may, that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I mean, our, heart, our physical heart does not have eyes, right? No, he's not. So he's not praying for our physical heart. I mean, when they use the word heart here, it was a reference to the the, the, the center of who we were is it was a seat of our feelings, our our impulses, our affections, our motivations, our desires. Um, so really, the heart is the center of who we are as an individual. Uh, and in and he's saying that the eyes of your heart, the, the perception of of that seat of of all those feelings, affections, emotions, emotions, and motivations 
would be enlightened, would be given illumination, would be given light so they might, we might perceive, that we might know, that we might understand some things in the core of who we are. See, this is not just, see, Paul's praying for something beyond um, intellectual understanding of things, giving mental assent to some truth, saying, yes, that's true with our brain. No, he's talking about the core of who we are, our soul and our spirit. Though we, you know, we we understand these things, and that our heart would be opened, our heart would be enlightened, that we may perceive certain things about about God, about who He is, what He's done, who we are, uh, life, uh, His His purpose, His will, and as we come to know those things in the core of who we are. There's an effect on life. It becomes a part of who we are. How we live our life is shaped by those things because it starts to shape our values and what we can are convinced of, convinced of as truths of God. And the first thing Paul prays that we would have the eyes of our heart enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has purposed, what he has purposed for us and through us. Now let's look at that word hope. You know, hope. What, what is hope? I'll read a, a scripture from Romans chapter four, verse seventeen through twenty-one. To look at that word hope that he that we have our, the eyes of our heart being lightened that we may know that hope. What's hope mean? What does he mean by hope? Verse seventeen of chapter four of Romans reads. All the way through verse 21. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. This is God uh, speaking to Abraham. and This is about Abraham believing God. So he says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, meaning Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and even when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, because she was barren. No belief, no, excuse me, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, because, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. See, so we often think of the word hope. When he says that the hope you've been called to, he's not talking about the wishful thinking of what God has called you to. No, he's not talking about wishful thinking or or just because we have this desire, this thought, or an idea of what we want to become. No, he's talking about it's it's being fully convinced, this confident expectation of what is what is going to happen. Fully convinced that God is able, as as it says, Abraham talked about Abraham. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he what he had promised. And he's praying that. So Paul prays his prayer that. The eyes of our heart be enlightened that we may know that the hope that we would we would know would be fully convinced of what God is able to do. In this part, he's talking about and what He has called us to, what we're purposed, what He has purposed in for us in Christ. So he's Paul's praying that that we would become fully convinced of what He has called us to. So hope is this inner. Uh, inner reality, this inner truth that we have, uh, this conviction uh, or this confidence that what God said 
is he's able to do. There's this expectation. It's, it's, all, it's like the, this has already taken place. And with that, we start to live like it's done. Like he says, we have this inheritance in God, in Christ, in, in chapter 1, verse 14, that, that the Holy Spirit has sealed in us, uh, has sealed and marked us for that we'll have. And so what happens is this, this conviction we have, like it's already done, and it's for sure. So with that, with that hope, it starts to shape how we live our life, how we see circumstances, whether we see them in light of those our own emotions and feelings, or we see them based on who God is. See, our hope is not in us accomplishing something. It's, our hope is in God Himself and what He has promised and what He has purposed. And so there's conviction, there's a sense of confidence, there's a resilience, a stamina, perseverance that comes upon us as we have this hope. And Paul's praying, the things I'm telling you about what God is purpose in Christ, they're not real just yet, but they are for sure in Christ done. And with that, when we have that, so we praise this, praise that we have this hope to what we've called to, that we have this inner conviction, this truth and reality inside of us of the calling and the purpose of what God is purpose in Christ for us, that it starts to give us stamina, resilience, confidence in what God has promised, and it affects our thoughts, our actions, our values, our life, our worldview, how we see circumstances, and in fact, it starts to impact other people. See, other people start to see the hope we have and the convictions we have and how they shape our life no matter the circumstances of what of the world around us are happening. Now, first Peter verse three, I mean chapter three, verse fifteen talks about Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, when we have this sense of hope that Paul's talking about, it's not going to come because, okay, we think about it more, We the more we ponder it in our head, it's going to give us hope. No, he's talking about a hope that comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that God enlightens us and, and, and pours light into our soul, into the core of who we are, so we may know, we may be certain of the hope that we have of this calling and the end of what God has purposed for us. So this is not something we can work up in in uh, frenzy uh, or emotion and bravado, make this hope real in us. It comes from God himself. It's a gift to us. It's a part of it. So where does this hope come from? It comes from, first of all, it's a mix of things. It's a mix of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And us considering that, seeing those things, and, and growing in deeper relationship with God where we come to know Him for who He is and His attributes and His will and what He's purposed in Christ. And out of those two things, there's a work going on in us that at hope becomes a stronger conviction as life goes on, as we journey and walk walk with God in our, our in this life with Him. And that hope shapes our life, shapes our de- decisions. It, it shapes how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see life events, how we see circumstances as we live out our calling that God has called us to, the, 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 what that hope is for. Now, Somebody wants to say, like, do we ever? Do you ever struggle with this idea of hope? Are there times we don't feel fully convinced and our convictions wane? Of course, we're human. We do, and I, I just want to talk about that. I want to add add this in as Paul doesn't talk about here, but he talks about he he knows why is he praying for them to have hope? Why is he concerned for them? Because he knows the reality of the ups and downs of living life in this world that's still broken. 
in the convictions of having holding true to what God has purposed in Christ, even when we know it, but our emotions and life can get the best of us. In Psalm 42, 5 through 6, the psalmist is saying, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. See, the psalmist is telling himself to have hope because there's this internal conflict or struggle going on in him to have hope. And Paul is praying this because there's a reality that we're going to have that at times in our life. Even as Paul, in some of his letters, talks about sending off Timothy and Titus to, to places because there was anxiety. He didn't know what was going on. And there was, there was this, this questioning in his own heart over, over what God was doing. And so there's, we all deal with this. But hope is something that comes from God and comes from the Spirit of God, but also in our relationship as we grow. And the longer we walk with God and in relationship with Him and grow deeper in intimacy with Him, that idea of hope becomes more and more a reality of who we reality within us. And Paul, the psalmist, is saying it's really showing that he has this internal conflict and struggle over having hope. Right, and he's telling himself to you know what are you doing with my soul? Why are you you such turmoil? Hope in God. Now, just because we tell ourselves to hope in God does not mean we're going to have hope. Sometimes it can happen. Sometimes we can work it up and stir our heart to do that. That's part of it, and we by faith have to do those things and speak to ourselves the, uh, the truth of who, what we know is true of God and what God has purposed. And so we do that at the time. But, but one of the things he says is, is don't hope in our emotions. Don't hope in our activity. Don't hope in the work we've done. Don't hope in, in something we are trying to do. He says, put your hope in God. See, his, his hope is anchored in God, who he is, his attributes, the character of God. And for us, it's also put our hope in God. Let it be anchored in what we know who God is, because he's revealed himself in Christ, who was willing to give his life on the cross and then rise from the dead and to secure our relationship with our Father in heaven and then to pour his Spirit upon us and to come to live within us by the power of the Spirit. So even as the psalmist is saying there, Paul is saying is, is asking or praying for hope. He's talking about a hope that, but is in, that is in God. Because it's in verse 3 through 14 of, of chapter 1, he talks about the character of God. And put through the rest of the letters, it's littered with aspects of, of the character of God, the attributes of God, who he is, what he's done in Christ, what he's purposed in Christ. And we can tell ourselves, Hope in God. Don't hope in our feelings. Don't hope in our emotions. Don't hope in our activity. Don't hope in our efforts or lack of efforts. Put our hope in God. And I'm going to close with that, and we'll pick up uh, on on uh, the rest of that, the, the hope that we're called to, and we'll I'll talk about the rest of that um, that prayer from verse 19 through 23 uh, on the next episode. Until next week, uh, may God bless you.